Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Hello, you're listening to Nerdette from WBEZ in Chicago. I'm Greta Johnson. And I'm Trisha Bobita. This week, Alexandra Petri, a very punny blogger with The Washington Post. She's got a book out called A Field Guide to Awkward Silences, which is all about how fun it is to put yourself in horribly awkward situations, which you can completely empathize with. Right, Trisha? Oh, yeah. I kind of love that. (laughs) (laughs) We talk with Alexandra about puns and being awkward. And what are those word thingies that you guys got really excited about together? It's a literary device known as the Zugma. Okay, good. We'll talk about those, too. That's Alexandra Petri, plus a beautiful Harry Potter-related nerd confession and some light summary homework. All that and more this week on Nerdette. Because everybody's a little nerdy about something. Make it snappy, nerd! Nerds! Nerd! You're listening to Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson here with Trisha Bobita. Today we talk with Alexandra Petri. Her blog on the Washington Post is called Compost, which is either a play on words or a pun. I can't be sure, but we'll get to that later. Compost is a lighter take on the news. So it's funny and not horribly depressing, like most of the things you might read about in the Washington Post. And I think it's pretty impressive that in an era where the newspaper columnist is sort of like the dodo bird, <laughs> Petri has managed to get herself one. Petri is making it happen. She also just wrote her first book. It's called A Field Guide to Awkward Silences. From the beginning, Alexandra establishes a premise that I'm familiar with. Greta, I think you are too. The idea that if you endure really awkward, random interactions, you'll end up with some pretty good stories. This is the basis for most of my life and probably all of my failed relationships. (laughs) We asked Alexandra why she decided to write a book about awkward situations. Well, I was like, what does everything I've ever done have in common? Oh, wait, I know, being extremely awkward. (laughs) So it was great. It was like, hey, instead of this being just like a major social liability, I can use this as an excuse. The moment when most people are like, I have to flee this situation, it's gotten horrible. It's like the moment right after that, that the story really starts to kick in. So if you're willing to bear it out, then you can come back with like a tail in your mouth. Will you tell us just really quickly the story about the cult? Because I think that might have been my favorite. Oh, my God. So this is my favorite and my mom's least favorite, I think. There's, I think, this quote at the beginning of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Cindy, you were the first young woman forced into this cult. Yes, I had waited on Reverend Richard a bunch of times at a York steakhouse I worked at. And one night he invited me out to his car to see some baby rabbits. And I didn't want to be rude. So here we are. I'm always amazed at what women will do because they're afraid of being rude. What I did to avoid being rude was I like got baptized into a cult casually where it was sort of like you're walking down the sidewalk and some women come up to you and they're like, hey, have you heard about the woman image of God in scripture? And you're like, well, now that you mention it, no, that sounds interesting. And they like start explaining it to you. And then they're like, do you want to come to Bible study with us? And like, given that your other plans for that evening were to go to see like a friend's like experimental theater performance, you think, well, how much do you ever really want to see experimental theater? So you're like, sure, Absolutely. And they're like, really? <laughs> Which makes you worry a <laughs> little bit. This has never worked before. <laughs> they're like, this doesn't usually happen. Where are you from? And I was like, Wisconsin. They're like, oh, I see. 
So then I like I joined them and we drove to Watertown, Massachusetts, a delightful upstairs at a massage parlor, which I feel like is where all the best churches probably got their starts. Mm-hmm. And their deacon started explaining the Bible to me. And like, I discovered very quickly that if I disagreed with anything he said, and like he was saying things, he was like, did you know that like Constantine was actually Satan and this is predicted in the book of Daniel? And I was like, no, actually, I wasn't familiar with that. Actually. That's not information I had. <laughs> that seems like you're wrong. And he just wouldn't continue unless you agreed. And so I'm like, I'm just going to agree because it's getting late and I need to get out of here. So we got through the rest of it in record time. And at the end he goes, so do you want to get baptized? And I'm like, eh, no, not really. I'm flattered, but no. And he's like, oh man, that's a pity because the last time somebody agreed with everything we said and then didn't say she wanted to get baptized, she got hit by a bus. Whoa. And I was like, oh, well, when you put it that way, sure, <laughs> let's do this. So I like... You know, they gave me a robe to put on and like I knelt in this tub and I was like, it's always going downhill if you're in a robe because it's like, who got in robes? Jesus, you know, Hugh Hefner, Gandalf. There's a Balrog waiting at the end of this somewhere. And so they like poured water over me. They started addressing me. I had given them a false name, fortunately, so they were addressing me as Sister Gloria. Then we all sang some hymns and we did like a fun logic puzzle with matches and they explained to me the new rules of my life, which were, there were three and they were as follows. They were like, no eating food that's been sacrificed to a false god, which like ruined Thanksgiving and no drinking blood, which was oddly specific. And then (laughs) like... Feels like someone had to put that in because of someone before... Yeah, no, it's always like the rules where it's like, don't sit on the copier while throwing pigeons out the window. And it's like, how did this rule get into the restrictions? Like, there was an incident. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. You always know there was an incident. And then the last one, there was another always like, no eating food has been strangled to death. So again, oddly specific. (laughs) You know, that kind of reminds me, there was a bathroom at the old radio station where I used to work that had a sign that said, do not flush socks down this toilet. (laughs) (laughs) another good one that's a great one we have one in the, like the fourth floor at the post and it says like be sure to like flush toilet and remove newspaper what so, i don't what? know like are people like reading it in there i think my assumption was like if you were reading it in the bathroom you should take it out but i've never asked anyone about this sign <laughs> so i'm not sure good good okay so you're singing hymns oh, yeah, you're oh, learning yeah. the rules so like they're giving me the rules and the last rule they were like also no sexual immorality mm. do you know what that means and i was like goats And they, like, pretended not to hear me. And he was like, no, no, it means you're married to Jesus now. Like, and I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So then eventually after dinner, they gave me a ride back to campus. And my roommate, like, I walk in and she's like, why is your hair wet? (laughs) Who are these new sisters of yours? And so we Googled this. We're like, what did I join? And it turned out that I joined something called the Church of God. There were, like, six of them. And they all Mm -hmm. said the other five were agents of Satan. So... I hope I didn't join the one that's an agent of Satan, but... But who's to know? Exactly. Where do you draw the line at being an agent of Satan? It's a slippery slope. (laughs) No, apparently, like, my Passover, like, expires. It was only good for a certain period, and, like, you have to really take it on, like, January 15th at twilight, and uh, so I didn't re-up. I have backslid towards Satan successfully. (laughs) So if you ever see somebody who comes up to you on the street and is like, do you want to learn more about the woman image of God in scripture? Tell them no, because otherwise, like, you got a fun evening ahead of you, slash possibly years with a head covering, like not drinking blood. So, you know, miserable. So these are the kind of things that happen, I guess, if you have a default position of saying yes, and 
in life. Yes, exactly. It's like the improv position. Do you, even though you enjoy going on these adventures and you are able to craft them into a career, do you ever regret them later? Are there ones that you go because of how it affected your mother or your grandmother's ability to exist in Indianapolis? (laughs) Do you go, well, maybe that one stays in the diary and not in the column? Or do you feel like it has to be all or nothing? I think it does have to be sort of all or nothing. Like, what's funny is, like, my actual column for, like, the internets, is it's not really about me. It's more like, here's some news that happened. This is going to be processed to you through my brain, but it's not going to be like, and then like, here's a true tale from my life. Right. And so like, the book was like, I've been collecting these experiences for quite a while. And lo, like, let me present them to you. So I thought the whole point was like, I can't lie to my public. You know, I can like, pretend, <laughs> like, because you know, like that whole thing where like your parents have like an image of you where you're like really well organized and like your life is basically together. Do you have like a parent voice? I feel like everyone has a parent voice when you're like mom is calling your voice on the phone totally changes because mine like goes up an octave i'm like hello like i literally because <laughs> oh, your mother is the queen mother that's the noise i make <laughs> no I, I don't know that just <laughs> it escalates really quickly <laughs> and i think like it's not because i'm like i'm deceiving my parents willfully it's like i want them to believe that like their sole reproductive investment is going to survive actually the weird part of the cult story was at the end of it i just told a friend the unedited version and somehow this leaked through her to her parents who told my mother and my mother was like what did you do and i like told her a very edited version and she like panicked obviously because she's like you're like my only reproductive investment like this is it that's where all my eggs went they're all inside you uh, that's, that's not, not how that's science weird. works um, but i got gotcha. that something else <laughs> and she kept asking me questions she was like how did you know they were women they could have been witches how did you know and i was like what <laughs> How was that the concern? Witches instead like, of women. They could have been witches. Like that was that was what we should have been worrying about. So I could see it being extra terrifying to find out about that from someone other than you, though, right? That's the kind of thing that if I were a mother, I would much rather hear the story firsthand from the child <laughs> than like, oh, did you hear about the crazy thing that happened to your daughter recently? Also, did your mom have any advice for spotting witches? For spotting witches? No, she always has, like, oddly specific advice that I'm like, mm-hmm. how did you get this advice? Like, the other day she was like, don't go into the graveyard behind your apartment. I hear it's a trysting place. And I'm like, wow, a trysting place? That's a really nice way of putting that. Like, what memo did you get? But, like, I don't think it is a trysting place is the thing. Is tryst a verb? <laughs> Ever? Yeah, do you, do you tryst with people? I don't think so. I feel like, yeah, she verbed that noun. <laughs> <laughs> Still to come, everything you'll ever need to know about punnery. That's in a minute here on Nerdette. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm a valid authority on the pun uh, because I actually am a pun title holder. I won the 2014 Punniest in Show at 
the O. Henry International Pun-Off. So, <laughs> which comes with the trophy. It's the rear end of a horse, and it's made of plastic. And it's like, this is your punishment oh. for... Oh no, I didn't even punishment. mean that. Oh my god. So forth from it's you. It's too deep. It's so deep. <laughs> wow. I kind of wish it had been called Peston Show. I feel like that would have been pretty good too. They also have like most viable punster, which is like MVP, and that's just like a turkey. And I was trying to explain these to the people at the airport, and they were just like not having any part of it. They were like, oh, punting, huh? And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> okay, so what is the difference between puns and wordplay? Okay, so we, we actually discussed this a lot at the pun-off. I had a feeling you did. Which you guys should come to the pun-off. You would, like, die of joy. Yes, it's, we should. It's yes. amazing. We're there. So play on words is, like, where someone will be like, um, oh, I wish I'd come with an example because it'll be like, you're doing puns on, like, temperature, and someone will be like, things are really cooling down. It's like, no, like, you just used the word in the same way that it was meant, but you made it sound like it was going to be a pun, and it wasn't. Mm. Like, so sometimes, like, idiomatically okay like you, you just like use a word idiomatically but it will actually mean the same thing that it means whereas a pun is a play on words where you use a homophone in place of the word that's meant or you use another like not just like another sense of the actual i think i'm doing this correctly but yeah it, it could be another sense of the actual word i'm trying to think of examples and i'm suddenly the moment people are like make a pun i'm like and now every pun has fled my brain <laughs> okay okay so like when if i were to be like man i'm really hot right now that's just a play on words yeah if like you were talking about temperature i feel like that would just be a play on words but if i were in hawaii saying thank you to someone which is mahalo and instead i said mahala <laughs> That's a pun. pun. Yeah. Okay. Ain't no mahalo back, girl. (laughs) Oh, she just took it to the next level, just like that. I feel this interacts with my favorite literary device, which is the Zugma. Zugma's my favorite. She stirred my soul in my risotto. Yes, that's my favorite. I went fishing and caught three trout in a cold. (laughs) That's so good. This is my favorite literary device. And no one I've ever met before has even known or cared what it was. And so we are now soulmates. Bye, Greta. We're going to ride off into the sunset together. (laughs) Oh, no. No, you can come, Greta. Wait, what is this? Tell me. So that's a zugma. It's when you use a single word to mean two different things at the same time. So went fishing, caught caught, caught a cold. Two different actions with the word caught. Wow. Or like she drew his attention and his portrait, but that's yeah. not a, as good. That's a pretty good one. What was the first one you did again? I liked that. Oh, like she stirred my soul in my risotto. I loved that because it yeah, involved risotto. Really nice. Yeah, risotto <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. wins. <laughs> Any risotto is always a win. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you get better at being punny? You get worse at being human. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. As I was reading your chapter about the puns and the things that you can do to get better, I was like, is this actually something that I should be pursuing? No, yeah, don't cultivate it. Or, <laughs> like, I also had a book of exercises that my parents gave me because they're like, this will keep her out of trouble. And those were fun. <laughs> Eventually, you have to take them onto the streets, and that's when it can get hairy. So, yeah, does everybody just kind of hate you a little bit? When you get punny. When you get particularly punny, what's the reaction? Well, sometimes the reaction is like, pee try. <laughs> pee try. And like a heavy <laughs> groan. And then like, Unfortunately, I'm dating somebody who, like, basically likes puns, and so he'll be like, ho, ho, I see what you did there, which is, like, almost a laugh. Um, (laughs) If, like, I'm acknowledging that something has happened, um, (laughs) then there's other people who will be like, why, and just leave forever. And those people are the ones you want to repel from your life, because if they don't appreciate puns, you don't need them. 
Well, exactly. <laughs> no, the pun community is actually, like, the most fun because it's all these people who, like, have this weird obsession with this particular area of language. And so you get all different types of people. Like, you get, like, sort of retirees in Austin who are having a blast. And then you get, like, younger folks who are, like, living in New York City, making it in the acting world. And you've got, like, dueling pianists. And, like, it's crazy. <laughs> There's just some somebody from every walk of life who's been touched by the iron hand of punnery. Not the iron hand of... I don't even know what I'm saying. So one thing that your book addresses that I thought was really interesting and had never really thought of in that sense is the idea that because we live in modern society and we don't actually have anything to legitimately be afraid of, like T-Rexes or sharks or mammoths or whatever... That, well, I guess sharks actually we should be scared of. Yeah, sharks are just eating everyone right now. Literally everyone. Yeah, okay. So I take back the sharks. However, you know what I mean. Things are pretty easy for us in this day and age in general, which is why then we have created things like fear of missing out or just an overarching fear of failure in general or of awkwardness. Because we can commute without being chased by lions, most of us. So when somebody looks at us funny on the train. Yeah, that suddenly becomes this huge thing. Like the worst possible notion. I just thought that was really interesting. I never really quite thought of it that way. And it got me thinking, too. I mean, as you say, we become afraid of earnestness in this really awful way, I think. Yeah, no, I, I think, like, there's this fear of sort of exposing yourself. Although, like, since the book has come out and, like, since sort of writing it, I keep noticing, I feel like there is now a, an increasing trend towards sort of earnestness and away from, like, snark because... If you really put yourself out there and you're like, here is an actual true thing that is going on, there'll be like a hundred people who are like, same, oh my God, thank goodness you're here to say that. And so to the point where almost like some people worry that it borders into smarm and stops being like as earnest because you're like, no, here's what's really going on. But no, I do think like the fear of just normal interactions and the idea that maybe like there's going to be a special exception made for you and you won't have to go through this and like the things that like I'll google in order to see like can I maybe like get out of being a human being today <laughs> like just so many things it's like how do you like make somebody like you or like how do you like break up with somebody without like making them sad it's like you can't physically do this but it's like maybe the internet will know something the idea that like maybe you'll be able to get around life in some capacity is always like a devil's bargain what is the cheat code for being happy yeah just rosebud semicolon <laughs> i like to think if we're tilting towards it being more okay to be earnest it means that we're finally evolving past this hipster thing of it's important to know about things but never to actually admit to enjoying them. Yes, which is so weird. But does that mean we're just going from hipster to twee? Yeah, I, I don't know. See, like, I feel like sometimes I have hipster-like trappings because <laughs> I, if you listen to any song often enough, I have terrible music taste. I'm just like, if I've heard a song three times, I think it's the best song in the world. So, like, during high school, I just listened to World War One songs, like, on loop. That I had, like, a CD of them that I'd listen to in the shower, and I'd be like, take me back to dear old Blythe. And, like, it was... But I genuinely was like, this is a catchy song, guys. And my friends were like, no, it's not. You just listened to it three times. And, like, please, get somebody else take control of the playlist. We're trying to get to Delaware. And... So I feel like a lot of times, like, you can look at something and be like, this is so bad, it's good. And that, I don't know where that falls in, like, the irony thing. Because it's, like, one of my favorite, 
like movies recently with like Jupiter ascending and I just loved it because it was daring so greatly and failing so splendidly that I really enjoyed it mm. like more than I would have enjoyed something that had succeeded at doing something well well and I don't know if Empire fits into that too but I mean like it's sort of an awful show but it's be it's exquisite in how terrible it is you know yeah it's sublimely awful like it's I like to describe stuff like that as delicious trash yeah <laughs> no, I think people are like much more open to admitting that they actually enjoy things that you're only supposed to ironically enjoy and that you can get a lot more joy out of it that way. Yeah, guilty pleasures without the guilt. Yeah. See how we've backtracked to pleasure? It took us a while to get there. <laughs> but we're all finally realizing it's okay to like stuff. <laughs> Alexandra Petri's book is A Field Guide to Awkward Silences. You can also find her on Twitter at Petri Dishes, which I guess is a pun too, right? Alexandra's homework was to read all of Proust, <laughs> but that seems a little intense for summer. You know, it's really intense. I mean, in her defense, she did also recommend Mad Max, which we both have yet to see, and sounds like it could be fun and is not nearly as intense as reading all of Proust. So we will probably take up the homework to watch Mad Max. If you want to go read all of Proust, that's on you. Exactly. But That's, it's optional. Yeah. That's optional. That's, yeah, <laughs> I feel like it should be optional. But if you want something on the lighter side, I am going to advise and assign that you go watch Unreal, which is a show that airs on Lifetime, what? which I find really confusing and like I'm not even really sure what that means. And I've also only seen the pilot, but I'm pretty excited about it. So this is the show about someone who used to work behind the scenes on reality shows? It's a fictional show about someone who does work on reality shows. So it's like a 30 Rock, but the Liz Lemon is a producer on The Bachelor instead of on an SNL sort of show. Yeah, it feels more to me like Studio 60. Like the stakes are that high in a really beautiful way. Yes. And the showrunners are Marty Noxon, who wrote a great many episodes of Buffy. And then this woman who also worked on The Bachelor for a really long time. So it's this really interesting combination. And a lot of it is just sort of about storytelling, right? Because they're like, oh, yeah, and there's the crazy desperate one. And there's the hot one. It's, yeah, it's, (laughs) I don't know, man. I'm hooked. Lifetime. Who knew? I like that you're recommending to people something that's on Lifetime because it reminds you of the most reviled... (laughs) <laughs> shortest lived sitcom I, about television of all time I gen- not sitcom drama studio 60 on the sunset strip by aaron sorkin which i think most of the actors stopped showing up for before the end of the first season i loved that show very much really sincerely i know i, I know it doesn't too. make That's any sense we're weird and it's part of why we do this podcast together because we're the only two people exactly. who we can talk to about studio 60 exactly so everyone go watch unreal so we can talk about it because it's pretty amazing i also feel like it's something that my brain really needed after all of that game of thrones intensity you know like this is the perfect antidote to game of thrones all right time now for a nerd confession Hi, Nerdettes. I love your show. I'm calling with a nerd confession and uh, about my husband and I in college and how we came to, um, to learn about and enjoy the Harry Potter series. Uh, we were in college when we first started hearing people talk about this, these books called Harry Potter. And the more we heard about them, the more we were sure that we were definitely not interested. They were for kids. You know, we're in college. We have enough things to read. We're not looking for a kid's book to read. And then the, mo- the first movie came out, and it was movie night with uh, a couple of our friends. We would go out like once a month on a Friday and take turns choosing the movie. It was their night to choose, and they chose Harry Potter. And my husband and I looked at each other and rolled our eyes and sighed and said, fine, we'll go see it with you, I guess, if we have to. And so we went and saw the movie in the theater. 
And when we walked out, my husband and I looked at each other and said, that was awesome, and we need to go read these books. So we went to the bookstore immediately afterward and picked up the first book, took it straight home, um, laid on the bed on our stomachs side by side, put the book on the pillow, and read it simultaneously. Um, When we were done with that book, we went and got the next book from the bookstore, took it home, put it on the pillows, laid on our stomachs on the bed, and read simultaneously side by side. Uh, We did that with the first, I think, three books. The fourth book, I think we might have taken turns, and then, you know, we had to start waiting for the books to come out. And then um, we started, I think for books five and six, we went to uh, book uh, release parties at the bookstore, you know, waited around till midnight, waited in line to get our book as soon as it was available, had a blast seeing people dressed up in the bookstores, Um, watched every movie when it came out in the theater. And then when the last book came out, we were in different states. He was on a business trip, so we weren't able to be at a book release party together. I went by myself. It wasn't the same as being with him, but I did pick up a copy for myself. And he, on the other side of the country, went to a bookstore the next morning and picked up a copy for himself. And we both read it, our copies at the same time, you know, within the first few days in different parts of the country. And um, and there's still movies. I mean, we're, we're 40 now. We just turned 40. And there's still movies that we put in to listen to while we work around the house or to watch just because they're great movies and great books and great stories. I have a friend of mine who's also 40. She listens to Harry Potter on YouTube, every the, the books, every night to fall asleep. Um, and every, I think every day on her um, on her commute home from work. You know, they're just wonderful. And I love being part of this nerd, I don't know, nerd crowd, one that I really didn't want to be part of in the beginning. And I've learned my lesson. When people recommend things now, I don't think, ugh, I'm not interested. I think, all right, I'll write it down and I'll take a look sometime. Anyway, thanks again for your show and for letting me share my story. Love you guys. Bye. The lost art of reading things to each other. It's beautiful. Trisha, actually, you read things to me sometimes. <laughs> Legal documents. <laughs> it helps a lot. We need you to send us your nerd confessions, too. It's got to be about a moment when you are at your nerdiest. Everything from epic fails to humble brags welcome. We're looking for an example of a moment in your life when extreme enthusiasm, yours or somebody else's, had a memorable result. Call and leave your nerd confession at 312 600 Or send us the audio file by email. You can do that by sending it to nerdappodcast at gmail.com. Thanks to Alexandra Petri for joining us this week. Next week on Nerdette, storyteller slash biologist Claire Fiesler. The show is produced by us, Trisha Bobita and Greta Johnson. With help from WBEZ's Joe Dassault and his top dog, Brad Helm. How do you feel about top dog, Trisha? I don't know. We'll ask Brad. You can find links to all of the things at nerdettepodcast.com. You can listen to us wherever you're listening to us because you're already listening to us. But we'd appreciate it if you took the plunge and subscribed on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast app is. Throw us some stars and write a review if you're feeling generous. <laughs> like the excellent pink punk rock princess did on iTunes. We share links to things we love on Facebook, which you can see if you like us there. And we're on Twitter at Nerdette Podcast. We're also at Nerdette Podcast on Instagram. 
where you can find Greta's teeny tiny pocket-sized book reviews. Someone on Twitter this weekend told me that she bought seven books based on our recommendations, and then I asked her which ones, and she listed them, and it turned out to be eight, and it was just a really beautiful thing. So yeah, if you're looking for something to read, check out the Instagram. There's a lot of good stuff on there. Chicago Public Media creates award-winning content about the issues that affect nerds like you. More information is available at chicagopublicmedia.org. There's one other way you can help Nerdette. If you're a nerd with a business or who works for one that wants to get your message heard by Nerdette listeners, you can underwrite this show. Email nerdettepodcast at gmail.com to learn more about sponsorship opportunities. Our theme music is New Old Toys by Poddington Bear. That was so nice. I was channeling the jazz plus jazz equals jazz. Jazz! Homework plus homework equals homework. Do your homework. Do your homework. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Tan Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.